Welcome to episode 186 of the Ski Podcast and thanks for joining us listener. Today we're going to be finding out about autumn skiing in Austria, <laughs> what's new in Aspen for this winter and might even touch on golf in the mountains uh, as well. Now my name is Ian Martin, I'd like to introduce my guest today. Uh, joining us for the first time is Rana Dershowitz who is a vice president at Aspen Snowmass. Hi Rana, how are you? Doing well, how are you this morning? Yeah, very good. Uh, may I ask where you are today? I am in the middle of London. Right. Okay. You're you're over here. Um, I guess it makes sense that you're on a, a British podcast at the time. What are you doing over here in the UK? Uh, I'm over here with Colorado Ski Country. We are um, talking to a number of different uh, journalists around color- uh, around London, trying to make sure that you guys here in Great Britain know about some of the exciting stuff that's going on in Colorado skiing. Certainly this will uh, help, although I'm going to come on to how many of our listeners are in the UK a little bit later on. But it's uh, just uh, tipped over to uh, a half uh, being international. And also joining us today, regular uh, guest Rob Reese. He was last on the show in episode 179 telling us about the Aosta Valley. Hi, Rob. How are you going? Good morning or buongiorno, should I say? Uh, well, that's probably a clue as to where you are. Where are you today, Rob? Uh, I'm in Rome, actually. I've come to watch the Ryder Cup with some friends of mine. So I'm uh, just very kindly sat in the Peroni Beer Lounge. They give me a nice corner so I can do this uh, this podcast for you, Ian. Uh, and have they thrust a beer into your hand as well, Rob? Well, they have tried to, but I thought I'd remain professional till at least 10 o'clock. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'm uh, very jealous to hear uh, that you're at the Ryder Cup. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a huge golf fan, but uh, it is the uh, um, apex of uh, golf to be able to, uh, you know, watch a competition like that. And it's one of the ones that I follow on a regular basis. Um, we're going to be talking about golf later on. But my first question for my guests, I always like to ask, this is one for you, Rana. When were you last on snow? When did you last ski or snowboard? That's a good question this time of year. The last time would have been right before our closing day. So uh, end of April in, of 2023. <laughs> uh, what were the conditions like then? You know, we actually had a spectacular season. We were at 140 plus percent of average snow. So it was amazing. We ended up having to close so that we could do the expansion work that we're doing this summer. So we actually had enough snow to keep going, uh, but had to close because we had to clear the roads so that we could bring some of the equipment up to the top of the mountain. Right. OK. And what about yourself, Rob? I mean, we talked to you about the Oster Valley. Was that the last time you were skiing? Well, on real snow was, yeah, it was Latuil on the uh, 2nd of April. But almost the best day of the whole season then. And then I, I did a, I met up with you and a few of the other ski industry people at uh, the Snow Centre. I think that was sometime in May. And we had a, about 25 runs on the slope there on the little drag lift. So that was probably the last official time. Yeah, yeah well, it still counts uh, indoors uh, as well. Much better being in the mountains. But any, any day that you get to uh, go skiing is a good one. Now, I've got a couple of bits of uh, news to cover. Uh, first up. Uh, firstly, we've got National Snow Week coming up very soon now. Coming up uh, next month, there's uh, ski shows going on in Birmingham and in London. Uh, I highly recommend all of our listeners who are in the UK, if they can get to those, they should go along. Uh, there are going to be lots of different things going uh, on. 
have a look at their website, nationalsnowweek.com. Uh, one of the things I can definitely recommend is that you'll be able to watch the ski podcast live where I'll be there with a number of uh, guests and we talk about different destinations. And also um, I'm going to be doing a presentation about train travel where I've got panels uh, with different people on from uh, Ingham's and the Austrian Tourist Board, uh, Flight Free UK, Travel Ski. Uh, going to be covering all different options for traveling uh, by train to the Alps. And in those ski podcast live sessions, we're going to be covering destinations like Iraq, uh, Japan, Turkey, Uzbekistan, and uh, Rokorazzo, my trip to the Apennines. So you can get into the show for free if you want to. You just need to go to nationalsnowweek.com and use the code ski podcast. But you have to use that before the 1st of October if you want to get in for free. So hopefully I look forward to seeing you there. Um, we'll have one more podcast, I think, before uh, that uh, happens. The shows happen in mid and late October. Um, but if you are at the show, do come up and say hello. Um, also coming up during October. Um, thank you for all those supportive messages. Um, regular listeners will know that uh, the Ski Podcast has been nominated as Best Broadcast Programme in the Travel Media Awards, which is very exciting. We're up against uh, entries from the BBC and the Discovery Channel as well. Uh, the awards are going to be on the 23rd of October at the Savoy Hotel. So again, we'll have another podcast before then, but you can wish us uh, uh, luck. But moving on to uh, skiing and to current uh, affairs, we're getting closer to winter. Uh, there has been some snow in the last week in the Alps, and I've noticed over in Colorado uh, as well. Um, but uh, you can ski at the moment in Zermatt. I was skiing there, was it last month now? Yes, it was last month. Uh, and you can ski in Sasfe uh, as well, Hintertooks and Pitzal in Austria. And over the next month, we'll see Solden, Stubai, uh, Le Dizalp, Kitsteinhorn, all uh, opening up. Uh, and I think Aspen's probably opening in November. Is that right, Rana? That's right. We always open the third week of November, American Thanksgiving. Yeah. Okay. Thanksgiving. That makes sense. Now, we had Gethin telling us about skiing in Solden in episode 159. And specifically, I'm talking about skiing in autumn. But, Rob, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on today is that you have done quite a bit of skiing in autumn, mainly in Austria, uh, I think. I wondered if you could, uh, uh, if I could ask you uh, a little bit uh, about that. Maybe starting with uh, Stubai. If... Yeah, Stubai, Todd. I mean, obviously, the, the, most of the. Um glaciers in Austria are in the Tyrol region. Uh, I think you mentioned Caprun, which is in Salzburgerland, but there's five glaciers in the Tyrol area. Tyrolagletscher.com, I think, is the uh, website. But um, for me, Neustift and Stubaital is the best. I've been going there for probably four or five, um, four or five times with my brother. It's almost like our season opener, sort of uh, middle of um, November. And we basically, early to middle of November, and we go to what's called the Testival, a big ski test there that's run on the uh, glacier. It's a pretty extensive glacier above Neustift, a um, lot of runs. I think it's about 45k. It's a great place to ski normal season as well because it's got some brilliant valley runs. But I've been going there uh, quite for quite a while. We've had a wonderful time. You get to see all the manufacturers, all the, uh, you know, the ABS uh, rucksacks, the helmets, uh, latest, you know, cosmetics, all sorts of things. You normally... Uh, can pick up a few uh, bits and pieces as well along the way, but uh, definitely Stubaital is excellent. Oh, so you're a you're a journalist. Is this open to the public? Can anyone go along to this test and try all these things? Yes, it is. I mean, I did it originally. It was uh, sponsored for twenty odd years by Sportscheck, which is the big like ski shop in Munich. And because it was only because I lived in Switzerland and I speak German, I sort of got to find out about it. But you can, and I think if you go on the uh, 
the, the website, we can give the website details later on, you can book into the, um, it's actually called the Intersport Schneetager, the Intersport Snow Days now. And there's a series of events going on through October. There's also a, te- uh, a festival for free riding as well, which is actually free. But I think if you go to the uh, main Intersport Schneetager, there's a cost for the test, but also they package it up into great weekends with your lift passes and obviously you don't the good thing is you don't need to hire skis because there's all the manufacturers there mainly austrian manufacturers but you you know you get all the other a lot of the other free ride ski brands there so it's a brilliant time and it really does get you into the mood and the tourist board in neustadt put on a bit of a party on the uh, saturday night so it's a good way to start and it's only about well it's just up the Brenner pass you come out of innsbruck so it's probably about 40 minutes drive maximum but you can get a train like a tram will go goes all the way out of Innsbruck on the through the streets and then it's uh, changes itself to a sort of mountain railway and bizarrely it goes up past the Bergeisel ski jump near there so it's a beautiful little trip so you don't need a hire car so you can actually do a reasonable budget weekend. Excellent I was actually going to ask you you know whereabouts it is because I've been into Innsbruck uh, uh, before which is quite a, uh, a thrilling landing for anyone who hasn't uh, done it before I think it's renowned as one of the most uh, difficult ones that pilots try I think they have to have special training to be yeah, able to, to land have, in uh, Innsbruck cap- don't they? Two, two captains they have to have on board yeah it's a category A landing and they have to have not a first officer and a captain but they have to have two captains yeah because it's that difficult yeah yeah and then, and then from Innsbruck, uh, so relatively short to get up to uh, Neustift, and then the glacier itself. So I'm guessing that that must be, you know, around uh, the low thousands or a thousand meters, no, something that, like that. It's, it's, yeah, exactly. The base station. That's a good like 15 kilometers drive up to the base station. But it's a beautiful Pier Farina, a brand new sort of uh, cable car that goes up there. The most beautiful thing, very fast, and there's lots of buses up from towns. So it's the Austrians do the whole sort of green. Uh, you know, thing very, very well generally. And and the actual uh, Stubai Glacier, that's 3,000 plus, is it? Yes, absolutely. And there's a lot of skiing on there. And every year I've been, most of it's open. Obviously, some years you're 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 skiing on concrete, um, like ice rocks. Some some years you're skiing on lovely powder. It just really depends how they've been with their early snow. Yeah, for sure. Well, I guess we're all obviously hoping for, uh, you know, good early snow. What about Pitstyle? You've been there as well in the autumn. Yeah, Pitstyle. I went there. The very first time I went there was with my son, Charlie, who lives in Switzerland and has obviously done a lot of uh, some podcasts for you during the pandemic. We went to the Benny Reich Ski School because at one stage he was thinking, did he want to do some racing and stuff like that? He soon worked out that was too much like hard work. and He just wanted to get his ski instructor badges. But my lovely son, Charlie, and I had a wonderful week in the Benny Wright Ski School. And it was the week just before the Solden, you know, uh, giant slalom. So Pitstar has some of the highest glaciers and the steepest runs. So all the race teams were there the same week as us. And we were staying in a lovely hotel owned by a lovely chap called Sepp. And we had the German ski team in the hotel. We were sort of having breakfast with Maria Riesch. And we got all the tips from the German ski technicians how to do our skis which and then we had the hermanator um herman meyer you know he was giving out signed postcards and then obviously the highlight was going up on the ski lift in the morning with lindsay von so just having a chat with her on the tea bar it's all a bit surreal because all the teams were there 
and then obviously on I, love, the I, I love that actually when when you do go out to the um to the glaciers you know out of season let's say you do find those race teams in there and i was lucky enough to uh, share a tea bar with dave riding in sasfe a few years ago just happened to be out there it's not a big area where they uh, ski and everyone just goes down comes up the same tea bar and uh, he was sitting there or standing there in front of me in, in the queue and i said oh hello dave i'd actually spoken to him before interviewed him on the podcast before and was was Herman Meyer still racing then, or was he just, you know, there? Yes, as he a was. It was towards the end of coaching. his career. It was towards the end of his career because I think they were all racing on the week, and then on about the Friday, they all headed over to Solden because they obviously have the opening races there. On the, uh, I think it's the Resh- is it the Tiefenbach or the Reschenbach glacier? There's two glaciers over in Urztal, so they all nipped over there um, for the for the races that weekend. And just to give us a bit of kind of understanding, so Pitstyle, where is that? How does that fit into the geography? What's That's your a very good question. Well, you, well, you've got you have got four, five glaciers in Tyrol. So you've got um, Stubaital, which is uh, Neustift, Urztal, which is Solden and uh, Obergurgel. You have Pitstyle, um, and then you have obviously Kaunatal and Hinterdux. Everybody knows Hinterdux has got Meyerhofen and Zillertal. That's a big sort of party destination for British skiers. I think. I think the nearest, oh, it's, they're all and they're all in a line, basically. The one that's a bit of an outlier <laughs> is Kaunatal, but Pitstar is incredibly close to Innsbruck as well. I think that's much, that's back towards the Alberg, if I remember correctly, towards Landeck. Uh, but you've got, I think you've got Stubaital near Innsbruck, and then you go to, um, go west towards Switzerland, and I think you've got Pitstar and then Utstal, or the other way around. And then you've obviously got uh, Kaunatal and Hintertux much more towards the other side. Um, and obviously Kaunatal is, Heading a little bit towards um, Surfhouse, Fisladis, and down toward now, now doesn't, and t- towards the edge of South Tyrol. So, but you've got a there. There's a thing called the White Five, which is a ski pass, and and you can buy, you know, you can buy into the ski pass. I think it gives you a, a number of. You can go on any any of the resorts. But if you want to have a fun week, I'd say, you know, in maybe late October, early November, and maybe go midweek because on the weekends a lot of the poles turn up. There's a few. Um, there's a few national holidays and the Poles and the Czechs descend en masse to uh, Stubaital. So if you went midweek and bought the sort of white five pass, you could sort of, you know, potter between the various things and maybe base yourself in Innsbruck. Depends what you want to do, really. But Oh, I'll put a link into the show notes for the uh, white five. I actually think Innsbruck is a great place to uh, base yourself. I really enjoyed it when I was there. Very Absolutely. pretty town, not too big, some beautiful yeah. architecture there. Really quite surprising, particularly, I think, the tram system. Was it designed oh. by uh, Zara Hadid? Zara Hadid, the, yeah, the one that goes up onto the Nordketter, a couple of stations. Yeah. So you clomp, clomp into the streets in your ski boots, and then you go on to this futuristic Olympics 2012 type uh, contraption. And the Nordketter's amazing. It's an amazing place to ski, even just for a couple of hours. Yeah, although Nordketter wouldn't be open at that time of year. If no, no, that would be December. But when it does yeah. open, basically all the office workers in Innsbruck pile out of their offices and go up there for the afternoon. Yeah, well, I could see why they would do that. And that it's worth having a look at the uh, lifts that go uh, up to Nordketter because they really are uh, beautiful. Uh, the other area that you mentioned, which is outside of the uh, Tyrol, over, I think uh, you're saying in the Salzburg uh, area, is uh, Kitsteinhorn, which is kind of above Caprun, Zalamse, is that right? That's correct. That's and very well, well. So you've skied there as well? Yeah, very tried. And again, I think I did that with Charlie. We used, Charlie learned to ski in early December. So we used to go to Salbach Hinterglem, which is not far from Zellamse, which is my favourite ski resort anywhere. And I'll be going there for my 60th in January. So uh, we had a couple of brilliant early Decembers. And obviously, as you know, early Decembers can be a bit variable. And then one year, 
we had a poorer one and we ended up going up onto the um, Caprun Glacier with uh, the tens of thousands of other people. And it's a pretty extensive glacier. I've actually also uh, been on a golf press trip where we actually skied in the morning, golfed in the afternoon and swam in the lake in the evening. So uh, obviously there's some wonderful golf around uh, Zelamsee, but I'm not, I'm not a massive fan of the of Caprun because I suppose I've always had days where it's been whiteouts and it's been very busy but that was only because there was a lack of snow in Salback. But yeah i mean it's funny how your um perceptions of certain resorts if you only get to go there on occasion can be affected by the type of weather that you get you know when you go um but that that is very interesting okay let, let's you know you mentioned golf there let's uh let's bring it into the conversation you're at the Ryder cup you're obviously very keen on uh golf i was at ski launch i think i mentioned it in the uh, last podcast ski launch big um event for the uh, industry which was held uh, earlier this month and i ran the uh, forum uh, for that which we uh, we had a panel all about golf because we're really interested about in the crossover between golf and skiing and how golf has dealt with the challenges that skiing has as well of you know accusations of elitism and uh, a maturing aging uh, clientele and that was really interesting but you've you've been playing golf in the mountains quite a lot over the years yeah for a long time I, was, I suppose I got my very first break into ski riding because I got invited I had a very good friend of mine who was the editor of Golf World in Peterborough and he said we've got this press trip to Austria none of our journos want to go there well oh, they're all poo-pooing it and, and you speak German so why don't you go along and went along and had this most amazing long weekend uh, helicopters between courses flying over glaciers as I said skiing in the morning swimming in the evening and uh, we went to the Salzburgland and we played some absolutely wonderful golf courses, uh, really beautifully kept. Obviously, you know as well as me that the, the greenery and the flowers come back very quickly in May and June when all the snow melts has happened. You're playing golf at a higher altitude, so the ball flies, goes further. In my case, it goes further into the deep rough. And uh, it's <laughs> beautiful flowers, you know, you've got, and it's a stunning scene. You've got old barns, hay barns on the course. Obviously, the Austrians do everything well from a hospitality perspective. That sort of Germanic mindset gives, you know, very, very good green keeping. And it's incredibly good value. There's a, th a concept called the Golf Alpine card, where you get, like, I think, five green fees for about 250 euros on championship golf courses. And there's a brilliant company called Golf in Austria who, you know, will organize everything for you, have partnerships with great hotels. And we did a trip, for example, with with the guys, same guys I'm at the Ryder Cup with in, in June. We had a lovely trip to Zalamse. I'm aware that you can play golf in a number of places uh, in the Alps. When I was out in Cron Montana um, a couple of years ago, I was going for a run. And, and I think they hold the European uh, Masters there. Have you ever played in Cron Montana? No, but it's been on my list. And um, I've got an, uh, I've had an open invite to go for a while. I have actually, when I lived in Switzerland, when I lived, was living in Zug in the mid-90s, I went both of the years to watch the tournament because it's all the great players go there because the the purse is the per, the prize purse is very very good i think they get awarded all sorts of strange gifts like cowbells and things if they win it and <laughs> severiano ballesteros had a great reputation there and he'd won it many times and there's some of the most amazing miraculous shots and this year it's been a particularly relevant tournament because that was the last qualifying event to get into the Ryder cup Crans montana high altitude ball goes a mile so the professionals absolutely dominate the course but it's the most wonderful place to go and watch golf because you look across the um, the Valais uh, to uh, down to Sierre and Sion, and then you've obviously got Verbier on the other side, and you've got Mont Blanc as well. It's the most unbelievable golf course to go and spectate. 
Cool. Well, that that's uh, excellent, Rob. Um, I really appreciate that, the uh, insight into the glaciers uh, in Austria and a, a little bit about golf as well. I'm going to have to go because my battery's low and that beer is getting getting a bit warm over there in the Peroni. OK, tank, so. well, in which but, case, uh, Rob, thanks very much for joining us and I look forward to catching up with you again yeah, soon. Uh, that was really interesting to hear from uh, Rob. Rana, uh, you live in the mountains. Do you play golf yourself? Well, I have played golf. We have golf in Aspen. We have a number of different uh, different courses all around the area. You're kind of avoiding the subject there. So do you play as well? <laughs> uh, I have played. Uh, I would not call myself a golfer, though. Right. OK, let's stick to skiing then. So uh, you're really excited to have you on the show. I know you're in the UK at the moment talking about uh, to people about what's new for Aspen for the coming winter. And I think the, the big news is there's some terrain expansion. Uh, it's the biggest in 40 years. I think I'm right in saying so therefore that's quite unusual you often find with ski resorts that you know lifts get upgraded and lifts get replaced but you don't often find so much that you end up having new terrain or new areas you know added within the area so I wondered if you could tell us a little bit more about you know what that is and and where it is and how difficult it was maybe to make it happen. Sure. Yeah, we're we're very excited about the terrain expansion that we're doing on Aspen Mountain, one of our four mountains. Uh, it is a 20% expansion of the Aspen Mountain terrain, all of its high elevation um, and north facing. So very excited to have an area that will hold snow from early season to late season. Um, it, we've been working on the Heroes expansion. That's what we're calling it. Um, we've been working on that Literally since the 90s, uh, it has been on our plan. Uh, so it's it's been quite the long haul to get us here. And we're super excited to have it opening this winter. OK, when you say it's been on you know, the plan since the 90s. So is it environmental reasons that have you know made it slow to happen? I guess, you know, there's a lot of stakeholders involved in this. It really is about the stakeholders, less environmental concerns, uh, more about the community and concern about the community being too busy or growing too much. The territory that we're expanding into is effectively side country. Uh, so there were some folks who were a little bit concerned about it, but we worked very closely with the U.S. Forest Service, who own uh, a portion of the land. That's our federal uh, federal government. And they were extremely supportive of it. What we've done is expanded by mostly glading the terrain. So we're not clear cutting new trails. There are a couple of trails, uh, but most of it are shoots and glades. And we've done that by um, taking out the downed, dead and diseased trees, trees which are beneficial to the forest. So really been a, a, a positive story from an environmental perspective because we're protecting the forest helping to make sure that there are uh, fewer forest fires, that the animals have light and that the plants have light. So it's been all positive on the environmental front. Okay, that's really interesting here. I mean, I've got lots of different thoughts as you're talking there. I mean, firstly, I love that side country. Like We don't, don't have that here. Back country, people understand what that is. You know, side country makes me think there's a lift going up there already and, you know, people could ski down there if they wanted to but it wasn't part of the official kind of terrain area is that right uh, that's correct if you took the gondola up to the top of aspen mountain and went out the back side of the mountain you could get to this area it was outside of our territory it was not controlled um but you could ski out there and many people did you would have to hike out or go for part of it we have now added a lift um that goes down 1200 feet so 400 meters 
Uh, all of it is above 10,000 feet, so above roughly uh, a little over 3,000 meters, um, so high altitude terrain. And now it is going to be controlled. It will be within our, our borders, uh, but it still feels very special. It looks out up Independence Pass, which is the continental divide here in the United States, um, super high elevation, spectacular mountains. And you look out there, you don't see town at all. You just see wilderness. Oh, I love the uh, idea of that. Obviously, you could hike there previously, but now it's it's more accessible. Can I ask you a question then? You called it um, the, the Heroes uh, area. Why, why is it called that? Yeah, we we named it the Heroes area in honor of the heroes who were part of making it happen. And that includes um, our managing partner, Jim Crown, who passed away this year. But it also includes heroes from our community, the, the patrollers who first went out into that area and looked at it. We have a run that is named, a shoot that is named after the first female uh, instructor on Aspen Mountain a number of the local community members who were part of making this terrain possible. And so we've called it Heroes to honor them. It's it's their terrain. Cool. I like the uh, sound of that. And you said that, you know, it's taken quite a while, you know, for this to happen. You, you talk about a 20%, did you say 20% increase in the overall terrain available on Aspen Mountain? Oh, Is that right? That, that's correct. 20% of the terrain on Aspen Mountain, yes. So maybe some of the local objections was, you know, the additional number of skiers coming in and cars and things. Is that what the concern was? I, I think it was that and simply expanding. There were some who were concerned about it getting too big. Right. OK. But evidently you've, you've managed to uh, assuage their fears. I think more more members of the community were excited about the amazing skiing that we're going to be providing. Cool. And so that hasn't opened yet. Will that be officially open when you open on Thanksgiving weekend uh, in the back end of November? Uh, we're hoping it'll be ready to open. It'll depend on the snow. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, you said that last year you had 140% of your average uh, snow, and we saw that over here in Europe. I wouldn't say we were necessarily starved, but what we saw in Europe last year was, you know, below average uh, snowfall at lower altitudes and above average altitude uh, snowfall at higher altitudes. But we're looking at the States and the amount of snow that was coming down over there with a, a lot of jealousy uh, some of the time. You know, fingers <laughs> crossed, let's, uh, let's uh, you know, have uh, snow everywhere for this winter. And that that opening weekend, so you aim to open for Thanksgiving. I mean, do you find that that is, you know, even bigger than Christmas or equivalent to Christmas in terms of number of people coming in? No, we really start start a little bit slow and, and build up to Christmas. So Thanksgiving is is more for our locals. Um, we don't tend to get nearly as many people coming in for that for that opening day, but it is a it's a wonderful special time. Everybody's very excited to get out on snow. There's a lot of happiness, a lot of costumes, and a lot of fun. I like the sound of that, and that's quite interesting. You mentioned locals; that brings me on to a kind of a, another side of things. So, you know, Aspen Snowmass is part of the Icon Pass. I think I'm right in uh, saying. Uh, yes, and right. you talk about, you know, locals, but if you have an icon pass and you know, a number of you know different passes are, are available uh, these days, you can ski in lots of different uh, ski areas. Have you found the icon pass has made a difference in Aspen people you know, coming in from other areas, taking advantage of that and getting a full value out of it? We've been really happy with the icon pass. We found it has been a wonderful way to give uh, new people op the opportunity to experience Aspen, particularly for us. We have found a number of people from from Denver, from a different part of Colorado who come over on the Icon Full. You get seven days 
at Aspen uh, throughout the season, uh, unrestricted. And if you're on the Icon Base Plus, you have five days. Those have uh, restrictions over the holidays, but it's been a great way for new people to, to test out Aspen. And we tend to believe we're pretty sticky. So when somebody tries us once, they're going to come back. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. And actually, we should probably just cover this. I mean, you mentioned those four mountains there. Do you just want to clarify what they are, uh, which they are? Sure. Aspen Snowmass is made up of four mountains. It's Aspen, which is the jewel of our um, of our resort right in the middle of town. Uh, the bottom of the mountain comes literally to the base of town. Uh, then we have Aspen Highlands, which we often call our locals mountain, which has the Highland Bowl, which is uh, extreme terrain, high elevation, some of the steepest skiing in Colorado. Uh, Buttermilk Mountain is our, uh, we call it our playground. Uh, it's both the beginner mountain where, where families and kids can learn how to ski. It's also the home of X Games and has been the home of X Games for over 20 years. So it has a, one of the few super pipes in the United States um, right uh, on the front of the mountain. You can sit at our base lodge, Buttermilk Mountain Lodge, and look up at at the the super pipe when the, when the kids are doing crazy tricks there. And then our largest mountain is Snowmass. Snowmass is about 15 minutes away by free shuttle. Uh, it has a whole base area and it is over uh, 3,300 acres. So the largest resort range of terrain from beginner through extreme. Yeah, I mean, to British people, I have to say that acres probably doesn't mean so much. <laughs> we tend to think in like, in terms of kilometers of peace. Uh, I mean, that sounds really interesting as well. That It's interesting that the, the family area is also the X Games area. <laughs> yeah, I we love that. We, we call it the playground, one of our playground areas, right? The kids love to play there as they learn to ski. And as they get older, they play in whole new and different ways. You know, one thing that I did want to say, though, when you talk about um, acres versus uh, kilometers of piste, one of the things that that we are known for is the ability to not only ski on piste, but ski through the trees and glades in ways that make the the number of runs or the amount of kilometers of run not necessarily the right way to look at the at the resort. There's so much more opportunity to ski if you want to go into different glades. Also, there's a kind of, I think Winston Churchill said that uh, America and Britain were two countries separated by a common language. What, what, are, what are glades? What does that mean? So, so glades are where we have thinned the forest so that there is enough room to ski through the trees in a, in a comfortable way if you're a good skier. Uh, or in some of our easier glades if you're uh, uh, less of a good skier. But you're skiing through the trees. You're not on a run or on a piste. It's not groomed. Um, and you're sort of playing in the forest as you go down. Yeah, cool. Well, I, I love the sound of uh, that. And I really like that type of skiing uh, myself uh, as well. So that's really interesting about the Icon Pass. Because, uh, you know, personally, I, I do I go to Zermatt, you know, reasonably often. I'm very lucky to do that. And that's on the Icon Pass uh, as well. And, you know, talking to people there, they have noticed that Americans are increasingly coming over and taking advantage of that. And I think I read somewhere that 70% um, of American skiers hold one of the passes, whether it's Icon or Epic or uh, or something else. It's become, a, you know, a trend that is very significant in recent years. We found we were part of founding the Icon Pass and, and we did that because what we found is that at least American skiers, even the most loyal skiers, were taking a second ski trip somewhere else. And we wanted to support that. We wanted to honor that, enable skiers to really explore 
and do so in a in an economically reasonable fashion. And so our partnership on the Icon Pass, what we did was create a pass that that gives people access without overwhelming. Um, so uh, like I said before, on Aspen, you get seven days unrestricted and that that lets people try it and then go to another resort if that's what they want to do. Go to Europe. If the snow is great in Europe, go to Japan, go to Australia um, or go elsewhere in Colorado. Right? We have so many wonderful resorts in Colorado and quite a number of them are on the Icon Pass. So you can do a little road trip. Yeah, well, the American road trip, I think, is one of those things that's on. Uh, maybe everyone's uh, a bucket list to do it at some point. Uh, sorry, there is another pass as well, another, uh, called the Mountain Collective Pass, uh, which that, also includes Aspen. How does that differ? What, what's, what's so? The so the Mountain Collective Pass, uh, we were actually part of founding that as well back in 2012, and it was uh, in many ways our first foray into exploring the multi mountain pass. On the Mountain Collective Pass, you get two free days at each of the Mountain Collective resorts, and then you can buy 50% off uh, any additional uh, days that you wanna buy. It's unlimited throughout the season. So if you uh, if you wanna take shorter trips, you know, sort of the boys trip or the girls trip for, for a weekend here, a weekend there, it's the perfect, perfect uh, uh, pass. It's a little bit less expensive because you get only two days versus the seven days or, or unlimited on the Icon Pass. But if you like to sample, it's a great pass. Yeah, I mean, we mentioned the road trip. And in fact, I was going to bring this in later, but I might as well uh, put it in now. I was looking at our uh, stats and I saw that um, just looking over the last 30 days, um, it was for the first time more than half of our listeners were from outside the UK. So it is an international audience. I'm sure there's lots of people here who have, uh, you know, Aspen on their list. I actually saw 21% of our listeners were in the States. So, listener, if you're in the States, you're probably appreciating this feature on Aspen uh, right now. But if you think about that road trip, it strikes me that getting one of those passes, whether it might be the Mountain Collective Pass or the Icon Pass, is probably a very effective way of going about it. Absolutely. And even, you know, if you're coming from Great Britain, we have amazing airlift into Aspen, directly into Aspen. So you can do you can you can come visit us from from Great Britain as well or all over Europe. Obviously, one of the uh, you have to fly if uh, to be able to uh, get to Aspen if you're in the UK. Uh, and, you know, sustainability. I mentioned before, you know, how I'm uh, leading a couple of uh, panels about uh, train travel. You know, trying to reduce emissions uh, is important. You know, it's not that I don't fly at all. I went to the States myself. Um, I think it was last year. Um, but from a sustainability uh, point of view, you know, Aspen, I would say, has been ahead of the curve. You know, I remember uh, writing a blog post about the um, great name called Give a Flake uh, campaign, uh, probably three years ago now on Ski Flight Free. But um, Aspen has been very involved in in advocacy trying to encourage people to lobby uh, to make change. I wondered if you could elaborate on that at all. Certainly. At Aspen, we recognize that climate change is an existential threat to the the country, to the world, to the ski industry, um, and we all have to play our part. We're not telling people not to ski. Um, In fact, we think that coming to the mountains and experiencing nature and connecting with nature helps people understand why it's so important to protect our planet and protect our climate. But we have been very vocal uh, on climate change issues for many, many years. Give a Flake 
was a, a campaign where we really pushed people to register to vote, to speak up about climate, to send postcards to their, um, to their senators, to their representatives, uh, to talk about why we care deeply about climate. But Give a Flake was not the first time that we spoke up on climate. We are this year having our 25th anniversary of our first sustainability report. So we've been doing this for decades. In 2006, we had a campaign called Save Snow. So way back in 2006, we were already talking about the concerns about climate change. It's something that we care deeply about. And, and Aspen was founded by, um, by Walter Pepke, who talked about the Aspen idea. And that vision was bringing people to the mountains, engaging with them, causing them to think a little bit differently, causing them to think about the world and sending them back to their homes to, to be better people and to make the world a better place. And we believe that it is part of our responsibility to push that forward, to be part of that Aspen idea, and to continue to do that on climate. Yeah, well, I'm I'm completely uh, with you there, Rana. You know, I certainly believe that uh, time spent in nature is extremely valuable, and we're very mindful of the fact there is this existential threat towards skiing. Sometimes skiing, you know, gets a a bit of a bashing. And there's a, maybe a bit of a, an ignorance uh, out there about the relative, uh, you know, carbon costs, let's say, of running uh, snow cannons and things like that. There are a lot of factors uh, at play. But, you know, Aspen uh, itself, you mentioned that long history of uh, being involved in the advocacy uh, side of things. I was also, I mean, there's a really good section on your website all about the sustainability side of things. I was reading about the Environment Foundation. We have a an employee-run foundation uh, called the Environment Foundation. We ask employees and offer them the opportunity to donate. We donate. We match those donations. And all of the money goes to environmental causes. We're also, um, you know, we are greening our operations as much as we can, but we recognize that, that climate change is a global issue. No one person uh, can fix it. No one company can fix it. We have to, as a society, we have to change how we approach energy if we're going to solve climate. And that, in fact, I think it was last winter, uh, there's extremely uh, striking uh, sculpture that you had on the slopes, which was a, a melting gondola. And I'll put a link to it in the show notes, listener, if you've uh, not seen it before. But you commissioned that, is that right? We did. We commissioned it. And we really, again, want people to think a little bit differently. And so we've had a program called Art in Unexpected Places uh, where we we bring art to bear uh, throughout the mountains um, in different places on our on our mountains, and in 2021 we commissioned the melted gondola. It's a a gondola. It was a local artist, um, an image of a gondola sort of melting into the snow. And our our goal really was to cause people to think about what melting snow looks like, what changing climate looks like, and speak up help uh, participate. We're, uh, we're partners with Protect Our Winters. We, we suggested that they uh, link to protect, protect Our Winters, that they donate, that they become members of it. Yeah, well, I, I will, as I said, put a link in there, but I think it is an extremely effective uh, way of getting that message across so easily. They say a picture is worth a thousand words. But you look at this and, uh, you know, it's impossible not to recognize that threat to the future of, of skiing and snowboarding of mountain sports that that represents. Well, and, and then we brought that melted gondola uh, to bear on the at the World Cup the next year um, and talked about the World Cup as the World Cup of climate, where we work together with uh, the 
with FIS, the, the International Federation and the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Association to um, to bring climate to bear as people were coming to watch the, the World Cup. We had a, um, a panel on climate. We brought the melted gondola down so that, again, we just brought it front of mind. We feel like if we can cause people to think about it more and give them opportunities to speak about it, they'll speak up. Um, and the more we can all speak up, the more we can change as a society and as a world. Oh, well, that is uh, excellent, Rana. Thank you very much for that. And, you know, keep up that great work there on sustainability. I look forward to uh, following uh, how things uh, go with the new terrain uh, with Heroes. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes uh, as well. Uh, we're just going to move towards a close now. Um, I enjoy all feedback about the uh, show. I'd like to know what you, listener, think. So if you have any ideas, features, uh, contact me uh, either via social at the Ski Podcast or email the Ski Podcast at gmail.com. Um, I have had a bit of feedback. Uh, Paul sent me an email. Uh, he was actually just saying, uh, uh, read the Travel Media Awards. Hard work and imagination rewarded. So thank you, Paul. Uh, Heather uh, Hannum also sent me an email. She said, still loving listening to your podcast with my daughter. Uh, congratulations on your nomination. We should be able to buy you a glass of something fizzy rather than just coffee. Uh, that's very kind of you, Heather. And she's obviously referring to the fact that you, if you want it, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash ski podcast. Paul Son actually did buy me a coffee. Very kind of him. He said, I live in the US and really enjoy your podcast. Uh, in, 22, in 2022, you gave me some advice about skiing in Korsfeld during the pandemic. Absolutely no problem. And, uh, you know, off, uh, off the uh, podcast, I've given some more advice about coming over to ski in Europe again uh, this winter. Um, Heather also um, made uh, a good point about dry ski slopes. Uh, she thinks uh, they could be promoted uh, much more, making them more sustainable relative to uh, indoor skiing. And I think that's a really interesting topic that I'm going to try and cover in a future episode. So thanks very much for that, uh, Heather. Uh, now, if you like the podcast, there are a couple of things you can do to help. You can review us on Apple Podcasts. We've got 103 ratings on there uh, now. Or Spotify, where we've got 30 ratings. I mentioned you can buy me a coffee if you want to. Uh, you might be interested to know that 51% of listeners uh, catch a podcast on Apple Podcasts, 34% on Spotify, and that our listens are up 20% over the last uh, year. Uh, and there are actually 186 episodes to catch up with now. And in the last week, 115 were listened to. And I mentioned before that uh, for the first time when I've been checking these uh, stats, more than half of our listeners were from outside the UK. Uh, so, uh, listener, if you are outside the UK, let me know. I'm always really interested. And, you know, we'll always try and include, uh, you know, more coverage uh, from different places around the world. Although I think we do pretty well if you look at our back catalogue. Uh, so, otherwise, you can follow me at Skipedia and the podcast at the Ski Podcast. But for now, I would like to thank uh, Le Trois for sponsoring the show and thank my guest today, Rob, who's already left us, and uh, Rana. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, Rana. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. And finally, thank you for joining us. And until next time, goodbye. <laughs>